0: people weren't really thinking about the title. They were just thinking about how you were reacting to them and how you were managing them and handling them and kind of rising above that thought process in my head of like, the title is not what makes you, you're what makes you.
1: Three, two, one. My name is Espri Devora, host of the Women in Tech show. The show means a lot to me the reason why i wanted to create the women in tech show is i wanted to create a positive piece of content something where people can listen and say if she can do it so can i
0: hey this is adam marks i'm a tech founder writer and consultant and i've been listening to the women in tech podcast for about three and a half years now Esprit does a phenomenal job spotlighting female entrepreneurs from all over the world and one thing I love about the show is listening to their stories and how they've built their companies and organizations. We should always be pushing for representation and equality every time we go into the boardroom, every time we look for co-founders, every time we look to hire employees for our companies. So, support representation and equality. Support the Women in Tech podcast. Follow me at AdamMarks13 on Twitter and on LinkedIn and remember to always look for the orange sunglasses
1: linkedin presents welcome back to the women in tech podcast my name is danielle farage i am guest hosting thanks to the wonderful beautiful vibrant esprit devora one of my friend tours and i'm really excited to join everyone this week um right now it we're just coming off of the holiday weekend and a lot of what i'm thinking about personally and i wrote this on linkedin feel free to go check out my profile and and read about it but essentially i was listening to call her daddy last week one of my favorite podcasts and the most listened to by females in the world um and she had Elizabeth Banks on as a guest. And I love Elizabeth Banks because she's like this woman who does it all. She made this amazing comment in Pitch Perfect also, like the movie. She had a great line about like her co-host being a misogynist. And I just watched it and I was just like, I just love you so much. And so anyway, she was talking about her 11-year-old sons. And she said, you know, I asked my son the other day, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he said, and I quote, I want to have a job I love, be surrounded by the friends that I'm making now, and have enough time to spend with family. And I just thought that was so profound and true. And for an 11-year-old to sort of answer the question of like, well, I don't know what I want to do and rather answer what is the dream life that you want to create? It was just like so true to I think where we should all be headed, what we should all be focused on, right? It's not about the perfect job. It's not about the perfect car or monetary whatever. It's really about who you surround yourself with, and do you have a purpose? And are you working towards that purpose every day? And I think in my opinion, I've tried to design for my dream life instead of a dream job because oftentimes when you design for a dream life, your dream job will follow. It will find you because you're leading with your passion and your purpose. So I just felt like that was a good Way to introduce this next guest today, Liz Leary. And Liz and I met because we attended the same event with Nellie Hayat, who is the woman who really introduced me to the world of workplace and who invited both of us to this incredible event that she threw in Brooklyn where she just basically got a bunch of heart-centered – Workplace leaders together to talk about the challenges that they're having and the exciting opportunities ahead. And it was a really special day. And I think that one of the reasons I clicked so much and gravitated towards Liz was just her, like her nature, her down to earth nature, and her ability to really literally connect to anyone in the room and the other thing was like i felt like she really brought her full self that day and i feel like it wasn't it wasn't just that day i feel like liz is someone who even though i haven't worked with her at all <laughs> i feel like she does bring herself to work and she like is you know happy to talk about her kids she's happy to talk about the the garden they're growing and to talk about her work-life balance or work-life harmony, as I like to call it. So I wanted to bring her on um, to talk a little bit more about that, to talk about the role that community plays in her life and in her career and in her journey in the fact that she is a woman in tech, in the fact that she is a mother of some beautiful boys. I'm really excited to, to dig in. So welcome to the show, Liz. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. And that was um, a hell
0: of an intro. (laughs) Appreciate it. I'm really excited to be here. Uh, I felt the same way about Danielle when we first met. And um, yeah, it was a really special event where I kind of everybody just like brought their grievances, but aired them in a really, really nice, like collaborative way. And it just it made for a really great environment to be kind of inspirational and, you know, like you said, bring yourself. And I felt like you brought yourself as well. When I first arrived there, I was only a week into my new job. <laughs> so uh, so I can tell you a little bit about myself. Yes, Liz Leary. I started in tech about eight years ago or seven years ago now. Um, and I started with Trello, which at the time was a little startup that could and they only had about forty-five devs and engineers, just like trying to make a product. <laughs> and uh, I came in as their their executive assistant uh, for their leadership team, which at the time was like eight people. And they were my age and really didn't know what to do with an executive assistant, but they knew they needed one. <laughs> so I kind of came in and was able to really craft my own career. And I like I. I give them a lot of props. Michael Pryor, who's the CEO of Trello um, and Brian Schmidt and, you know, a whole bunch of uh, Liz Hall was like my mentor. She's splashed that now. And it was just a really great team. And like, when I think of community, that's who I, my mind just immediately goes to is, is Trello because like they started my journey in tech and they showed me what's possible and gave me the autonomy to like, build that possibility like they all they did was want you to innovate and it was just such i'm very very lucky to have gotten into that situation as my first experience in tech because it made me fall in love with all that it was and that it could be so
1: that's that's such a good point too i just want to go back to something that you said i want to hear a little bit about your journey into tech but before i i hear that i think yes the first experience your, your sort of, you know, first impression, I guess, of an industry matters so much. And I think that like, even, even when I look back on my own experience in, I guess my first experience in tech was really like, was, was actually like more of a toxic one, but it wasn't like really tech. My first really experience in tech is like amazing. And like, full of heart centered people who like actually cared and were invested in my growth. And I think that is really important. Tell me a little bit more about also like, how do you got into tech? What was that transition like for you?
0: Um, It's really funny. I've had this like very colorful history that kind of brought me on a super windy road of like, finally landing where I am and like realizing what I wanted to do and like where my, you know, where my heart lies and my passion. Um, So I started off wanting to be a doctor (laughs) and I mean, it's helping people, right. Just like a really different way. And so, but I wanted to like get some traveling in before I, you know, got down to medical school and did the whole thing. And So I, I went on a little travel, traveling thing. I got like a real job, which was just an executive assistant in this like rinky dink place. And I wanted to get out of there and I wanted to move into the city because I always lived in Jersey. I'm a Jersey girl born and raised and, um, you know, New York city was it, you know, I wanted to be there. I've always wanted to live there. And so I decided to just look for like, an executive assistant, personal assistant, house manager kind of job in the city for like rich people, (laughs) you know, like they've got to have them, you know, this is, this is my in basically I'm an executive assistant now I'll make the jump. So I applied to this ad and it turns out to be Michael Douglas and Catherine Zeta-Jones. And I didn't know going into it, that this was who I was interviewing with or like that the job I was applying to, it was just like, this job had all of these perks and you're just like, what, this can't be real. I'll throw my resume and let's see what happens. And, um, (laughs) and it ended up, yeah, I went through a filter interview and then went on the interview with them. Uh, I started working for them. I was with them for three years and just like traveled everywhere with them. We parties and all of this stuff. And it just like, I don't know. That started to build, like show me that I wanted to like make people happy. Like that was my job was to make sure that they were happy twenty four seven. You know, and I was like, okay, I can do this. Like, th- and then having that on my resume, it's like I felt like there was only one way I could go. But after a few years with them, it was a real burnout job because like I'm traveling twenty four seven. I'm living out of a suitcase. You know, and I was like, I was ready for a little stability and structure. So I got a job at Hadassah, the Women's Zionist Organization of America, and I first worked as the executive assistant to their COO, and then um, I got promoted and went up to be the office manager and um, executive assistant to their president and uh, like president and something CEO. So I was there for five years and, uh, that kind of gave me the, okay, this is what an office is like, this is, you know, corporate work and I'm here nine to five and like, I don't want this, <laughs> this, I can't do this for the rest of my life. Like, <laughs> you know, like this, this is not possible. I need to do something else. So a friend of mine told me like, oh, I have this app that's like, I don't know if you're into startup or anything, but this app Trello, I have a friend who's a recruiter from there. Like. I think you would be really great being like their EA, but I mean, it's a risk because it's a startup, you know? And so like at the time I was like, you know, had, had just had my first child. I was like, I had just gotten married and you know, things were like, you know, you're setting up your life and I'm like, can I take this risk right now? You know, do I take this risk? And then I went and I took the interview and they were just the most amazing people. And for some reason, I was like, this is this is it. I have to risk this. Even if this fails and this startup goes under, uh, it's it's going to be fine because it's all about the people that you surround yourself with. And I just felt like this energy about, about tech and just the community that it has. And there was just a lot of possibility. Like, where could this go? Could we IPO? Could we get acquired? You know, like, what's going to happen? Like, it was so there was so much excitement behind it. And I don't, now that I've been in it for as long as I have, I could never do anything else. That's my kind of coming up. So I've had a very colorful history, uh, but it all led to the same thing. It's like, even in every job I was taking care of people and, you know, it didn't matter like the difficult personalities that I'd come across or, you know, who it was and what the situation was. I liked being that person that people depended on to always be optimistic, always have things under control and always looking to make the perfect experience for you. And it truly like going into Trello was what that taught me exactly where I needed to be. And like, okay, I now know how I want to take care of people and now I can build exactly what that dream looks like. Um, And that's what I've been doing ever since.
1: (laughs) Wow. That's so cool. When we met and you were talking about, you know, sort of the impact that you had, you had had on Trello, even, you know, throughout the pandemic, but even like, even before that, right, you were already doing events. You were already, you know, you were already creating this sort of in, internal community there that was, it's, it sounded very beautiful. Can you tell me a little bit more about like sort of the role that you took on and, and obviously you had felt like you wanted to be that person to, you know, serve that role of someone who makes people happy and, and helps them and, and make sure that everyone has what they need. And I think that's definitely, you're describing a community manager, like for sure. But but tell me a little bit more about that role and like how that actually took shape.
0: Yeah, um, it started off as what really felt like just an executive assistant role. Uh, you know, it was very, it was traditional in that way. But like I said, they really didn't know how to utilize me. So it gave me the runway to kind of develop the things that I wanted to sink my teeth into. And we were adding people on, like we were hiring at a crazy rate at that point. And in my opinion, I've always felt this is like, it doesn't, your time at a company doesn't just start on day one. It starts an interview one, like through that interview process, you're, you are telling somebody who you are and why you want to work for me, you know? And then on day one, you're like bringing them in, you know? And so Uh, I wanted, that was the first thing that I wanted to sink my teeth into was onboarding. And I'm like, I want to make sure that all of these people feel their worth the second that they come in these doors, because we hired you for a reason, you know, and it just became really important to me and not, not to mention my direct boss at the time was technically our head of people, Liz Hall. And she was just, she is just the most thoughtful, amazing leader and just, kind of takes you along on a very, like she's teaching you, but you have no idea she's teaching you, you know? And she was doing all of these things with onboarding and DEI and like a just amazing things to just show people how thoughtful you are and how, how much they matter. And so we, she taught me how to do what we did was taco statues. And I know we're not on camera, but that's a taco. <laughs> And it's our mascot. And he is, he's a little husky. So what they would do, what they would do all the time is they would uh, send one of those taco statues for your year anniversary on the team. So every time you celebrate a year, you get you get a taco statue. And it became this like phenomenon, right? So at the time, obviously we were small. We're still doing this now because I think it's so important that these little cultural things stay in place. Because that's what like bonds you, you know? So we we still do those to this day. It's completely automated now. There's like, you know, 300 taco statues going out at this point. Like it's so fun. Another thing that she brought me into when I first got started was Trello Together. And Trello Together was a three-day retreat where the entire global staff would go to one location and we would do no work for three days. And it was centered around that, like, connective vibe. Like, we're going to collaborate. We're going to hang out together. We're going to really get to know each other and not just know of each other. And we don't want to bring work into it at all because we're a remote company and we we work. We can work. We know what we're doing. We've been doing it forever together remotely. There's no reason why we when we get face-to-face, we have to talk about the same stuff. You know, so... Um, That was the whole premise for Troll Together. And that is where my events thing started. Like my love of events and like bringing amazing experiences to people. It was born there. And so when Liz Liz left about a year after we got acquired, or a little less than a year after we got acquired, and I took on Troll Together, she handed down the keys to the castle. And I did it every year up until the pandemic. And it's just a few of the things that I was taught getting into the job and how I started to evolve it into all of these different things is just these little, these little details that, you know, they taught us or taught me as I came in was just like, we like this thing. This helps us stick together as a community. This bonds us, like keep doing this and then riff off of it. So that was that was always really fun. And like I said, I'm very lucky to have had the autonomy that they gave me to be able to, you know, build those roads for myself. And I know that's not the situation for everyone. And, you know, if you're in a situation where that isn't your situation, get out of it because it doesn't have to be your situation. You know, there. these jobs do exist. <laughs>
1: so. That's a good reminder, I think. And I mean... I think that also when you are a community builder, the best way that you learn how to build community is from engaging and participating in community. And so in a way, I'm like, I want to come to one of these retreats because it's like, that's how you learn how to engage and build and like, not only build something, you know, that's like, oh, we're going to do this thing, but Build something that lasts and that like really actually resonates with the people there, so that when you leave, if you leave, you know that legacy can be carried on. Just like, you know, Liz Hall, and I. I love the the taco statues. That's so cute. (laughs) I. I now I no see now I want one right.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like I don't know. It just makes you. I remember a one person. On our team, who is he's been based in England the entire time he's been on Trello, and you know he he we only do a retreat once a year, um, and we do that purposely, you know, so it it's just something everybody looks forward to. So we need things like that to keep us connected until that moment comes again, and we can use that, and it sustains us till the next time, you know. But you need those little like virtual events and just things like the taco statues. And he said once he was like, I always love the fact that I get this taco statue every year because it just reminds me what an amazing company Uh, he goes, it just comes in the mail. And like, all of a sudden you feel seen and you feel heard, even though I'm halfway around the world, you know, and it, it binds, it bonds me to my team. And we do that with a $25 statue. You know, it like, it takes that little people just want to be valued. And you can do that in an economical way. It's possible. You just have to be thoughtful about it.
1: Right. And actually, we just at Cafe, we just had our first retreat ever. And it was the same. We did basically like a three day, you know, not like very little work. I I don't think I worked, but maybe like my bosses worked (laughs) a little because they're founders. But I think it was so important to just get out of, A, you know, I travel to Paris like three to four times a year to just be with the team. So similar to, you know, the person who, you know, works in the UK, I'm remote first in that sense. But I think that these moments of like me going to Paris, right, are are sort of one cultural moment where we hang out, we go to karaoke, we've done a cooking class with like at the you know ducasse like the guy who used to cook at the eiffel tower restaurant like such fun activities that like are part of like who i am i love cooking i love singing i love you know dancing i love color you know we i just did that like a drawing class right so i think parts of sort of like me are infused in the experience that are that is created when i go and then to to take it a little you know a, a step further to like go you know, two hours outside the city, it's not that far, drive in a car with your coworkers and like explore a new place and then be in like the French countryside for, for three days. I mean, who, who wouldn't feel closer to their coworkers after that experience?
0: Yeah. Like I said, you like anybody who you haven't met in person yet, you know of. I don't know what's going on in your life. I have no idea what you're going through unless you've explicitly shared that with me. But if I'm sitting there breaking bread with you over a table, there's no way you're not telling me my mom's been in the hospital for the last three weeks or like my kids are dealing with ADHD and I don't know what to do with it. I need advice. Like you're not going to feel comfortable enough to share those, you know, moments in your life or share that part of yourself and actually be vulnerable with these people You know, and now they're taking that information home. And now they're going to relate to you in a completely different way. You know, and they're going to you'll see your boundaries and make sure that they're abiding by them. Like there is this like unspoken script that happens afterwards. And I've always said to people when they when we talk about trial together, like, I wish I had done because I always do post-event surveys. I always I think feedback is everything. I want you to tell me if this sucked and why it sucked, because if, it, if I don't know it's broken, I can't fix it. You know, so I I want to know everybody's honest opinion. But one thing I never did was test, and I don't know how I would do it, but test the productivity rate. Like how many more things did we ship because we wanted to work together? And, you know, we talked about some crazy idea that we had at the pool. You know, we're sitting by the pool, and, you know, somebody like Laura from you know, engineering and Todd from marketing are like talking and Todd's like, hey, I have this great idea for Power Up or an app. And, you know, they start to talk about it. And then when they get back, they're like jazzed about something. And look at that, you have a new feature. You know, like it's, it that kind of knowledge transfer and cross-pollination does not happen remotely. You have to have that. And it can happen just once a year if it's thoughtful and intentional
1: enough you know, and it will sustain you. I'm actually reading a book about creativity. It's called Creative Confidence. And they literally talk about how the most innovative companies, you know, have sort of like, I guess, decentralized creativity. Like, it's not only the artists and the content creators who can be creative. It's it's really this essence, right, that you can bring out in people by giving them the right tools, the right opportunities, the right perspective to think, oh, maybe I could dare to to do this other thing or to try something new. And I think that's part of, like, the, you know, part of, I think, the startup mentality, in my opinion, of, like, you know, try things and fail fast and and then go try a new thing. And I, there are so many directions I could take with this conversation. Um, (laughs) so many things I want to talk about, but in, in the, you know, I want to respect your time. So I do, I do want to sort of shift the convo a little bit to ask you a little bit more about, you know, obviously being, being a woman in tech can be difficult at times. Um, being a person in tech can be difficult. Sometimes I'm like really frustrated with <laughs> just like the speed at which things happen. And I want to, I want to hear a little bit, you know, about from your perspective, like what has been one sort of self-limiting belief that you've had to overcome so far in your career?
0: I think I, you know, two things pop into mind here. It One of them is just like, I have a real problem being comfortable being uncomfortable. You know, and I you know, when things like when a conversation gets a little heated or, you know, like I'm I'm a perfectionist, so that that can be really limiting because like you're constantly just searching for the tippy top of everything and if somebody you know, second guesses you, it's like my whole world comes crumbling down. You know, so like I think getting and understanding constructive criticism and allowing it to change me in a positive way and not like internalizing it is is something that's been a real journey for me personally. Um and you know that goes into everything, not just my career, you know, but um it does pop up a lot in in this, because like being a woman in tech and especially the other thing that popped into my head was like, I have these weird feelings about the title of executive assistant when I finally got to where I was going. So, you know, I came in as as an executive assistant and I was doing all those things on the side. And I know many executive assistants will feel like you're a jack of all trades. Like if somebody doesn't want to do something, that's now your job, (laughs) you know, like it's, it, it, there is everything you have to tackle everything, you know? So when I started doing events and I started being so much more of an employee experience manager and doing all of these programs and developing all these things, I felt like I had really outgrown that title, but it wasn't changing. And I never understood it. I mean, that was very self-limiting for me because I always felt like, I would be doing these big deals and I'd be making these huge things happen and talking to very important people. And then they would go to look me up and look at my title and it would say executive assistant. And like, I don't mean that to disparage executive assistants in any way, because I think it is an unbelievable job and I wouldn't have been doing it for 15 years if I didn't love it. You know, but um, for me and where I was going, it was not serving me, but I feel like that maybe was in my head. You know, and like people weren't really thinking about the title. They were just thinking about how you were reacting to them and how you were managing them and handling them and kind of rising above that thought process in my head of like, the title is not what makes you, you're what makes you, you know, and how you deliver yourself and how you carry yourself and the community that you form around you. So I think just not letting that define me.
1: That's such a good lesson. Because there's there's this woman who I have followed for some time and who actually was the inspiration and helped me come up with my title sort of in, in life, which is Work Futurist. And her name is Sarah Beth Burke. And she wrote this book literally called You Are Not Your Title. Such a true line. It's like, because i think for a long time, you know, we've sort of defined ourselves even even today. If you ask someone on the street, "Hey, tell me about yourself." They'll start with, "Oh, well, I'm a product manager at Meta," you know, they'll they'll start with what they do. And you are not who, you know, you are not what you are or what you do. Sorry. You are who you are. <laughs> and it goes back sort of even to like what i how we started this conversation which is create your dream life don't just go after your dream job and i think that that like what you're talking about is sort of this it could be like an existential crisis for a lot of people because if you suddenly lose your job if you suddenly you know your your role is changed and there's a reorg or whatever happens right then exactly your identity is like, you know, no one else is calling it into question, but you. No, no, it
0: could be, it's all in your head. Yeah. You have to like, there is such a thing as positive self-talk, you know, you really, you really have to like, believe what you're saying to yourself, you know, and not kind of just like drown out the negative, you know, it's like, you're going to hear all of these things about, what you're thinking, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy, you know, like I but I am not what I do. You know, I this is this is just a part of me. And I think I think people were surprised. That was another thing is like when when I started to talk to people and I made all these deals and everything, I know people go and Google you. Like a hundred percent. Like I do that to everybody. You know, like I look you up and I'm like, okay, what's this person all about? I don't think anybody ever probably, they probably skimmed right over my title, you know? And like, I'm putting so much weight into this, <laughs> you know, so much energy into worrying about it. And it was probably hours and it's the last thing that they saw, you know? And it's just so crazy what your mind can do to you. Sometimes you just have to like, slow down, take a beat and be like this, I'm not imagining all of this. This is all in my head. Like, what would I do if I was Googling somebody? Would I would, would that be the first thing that I look for? No.
1: No. And And you also, to your point, you remember how someone made you feel and who they are. You don't necessarily remember what their title is. That's not how relationships, like, happen. Or, like, that's not how, like, relationships that matter carry on. Yeah,
0: I totally agree. No, it was a very a very good question about self-limiting.
1: So on that same note, you sort of touched on it a little bit, but I want to know what advice you'd give to someone just starting out in their career in maybe in tech in a male-dominated industry and and what do you wish you would have done sooner?
0: I wish I'd advocated for myself a little bit sooner. I think I think I got a little bit pigeonholed in what I was doing and everybody just expected me to do everything all the time and because i handled it all without complaining or anything didn't mean that i wasn't suffering and i should have said no a lot more to things yeah i wish i had done that sooner i wish i had learned to say no because it's okay to say no to things when like you've reached your breaking point on stuff and you're being you know your plate is super full yeah learn to say no <laughs> it's okay. You know, like not everybody's expecting you to, to do everything. And if you set those boundaries early, you've got to set those boundaries early that I think that's one thing that I've always wanted to do for myself is make sure. And I feel like I did that in the new role that I went into. I said, these are my working hours and I have hard stops that, that I'm not, you know, I'm not going to be the jack of all trades in this. I'm not going to be answering emails and texts at midnight, you know, just because like you had a thought, you know, like I, I think setting boundaries is a huge, huge thing to set yourself up in a healthy work environment for yourself. Your work-life balance is everything. And it's really, really easy to get thrown off balance when you're working remotely, you know, because your, your work environments in your home, you know, like there, I specifically, I'm, I'm very lucky that I had the means to be able to build myself an office because like working remotely without a designated space for myself was, was so unhealthy. I was like a nomad around my house. I didn't have a place that like, I could just, I could just like close the door and like nobody was going to come in or interrupt me. And then I could close the door at the end of the day and like leave work at work. No, like work was in the kitchen and it was in the bedroom and it was just everywhere. You know, I, yeah, boundaries are huge.
1: Set lots of boundaries. It's so funny that you say that too, because I feel like that's something that my generation is really good at doing. But then again, we struggle with confrontation. And so what happens is like, we don't want to do something, but we don't know how to express that we don't want to do it or why. And then it leaves sort of like, you know, and then there's a whole quiet quitting conversation, which i shared my thoughts about that on a a podcast (laughs) that came out last week. So if anyone wants to go listen, it's uh, with uh, Scott Markovitz's podcast. Yeah, I'm not going to go into that. But I think it's interesting that that's the thing that you say that you wish you had done sooner. Like literally are the things that I'm advocating for people to do, which is advocate for yourself, and say no like set set proper boundaries and i think part of that too is like having the ability to test out different ways of working was the thing that helped you understand how you needed to work to be the most productive you
0: yeah i think you know you do have to you have to be a little more selfish and like i think saying also not even going there, but to to the point where you said, you know, your generation has a hard time with confrontation. You know, like that. I, I get that, and I think that speaks to my point about being comfortable, being uncomfortable. I had that problem of like, if I'm getting constructive criticism or somebody's coming down on me and it feels confrontational. I pull away. And then I have that moment where I'm off the computer and I'm like, oh my God, I should have said this or I should have brought up this question. Why didn't I say this? And now the time has passed and you're like, it's too late. Now this is all just going to fester and I'm I'm not going to get out what I want to say. And like slowly the resentment's just going to build, you know, and if you don't cut it off in that moment and be comfortable being uncomfortable, because it, it's going to pass, that feeling is going to pass. But when what happens is then you get off and you're like, Oh, thank God I said that. Thank God I, you know, like I could it it definitely wards off disaster situations for sure. And just and and does speak to advocating for yourself. And that person on the other end is going to have so much more respect for you if you don't sit there quietly and just take a beating. You know what I mean? You're gonna be like challenge them a little bit, be like, Well, I don't feel it went really went like that, but you know, here's my interpretation. Like, you're right, find different ways of communicating because everybody has a different communication style and you all have to talk it out to figure out how yours are going to mesh together. You know? So if one person's just giving the dress down and the other's taking it and leaving, there is something very very wrong with that situation.
1: Yeah. That's so true. I think when I look back at like even my time at cafe, you know, a year and almost a half, there like in the beginning especially I I didn't say the thing as much, but over time you get more comfortable. And I am so grateful that I have gained that confidence to say the thing and also the psychological safety, right? It's like, you know, in in your opinion though, like what do you think are smaller things that people can do? You know, a lot of the people listening are leaders, their founders, their women in tech, probably managing other people. What are some of the ways that they can sort of establish, you know, that psychological safety with their teams? What are some of the things that you've done personally?
0: Yeah. So I had a career coach and I hate that I can't remember her last, how to pronounce her last name, but her first name is Alexis and she was absolutely amazing. Um, And she taught me this this thing that I, I haven't implemented myself, but I always wanted to do it. And it was called pinch and punch. So it's like you, if you're talking to a new hire and you're establishing your, you know, relation, your working relationship as a superior to their subordinate, you can institute this thing where basically it's like, listen, if I ever have a conversation with you, that pinches you. It's just like, I say something that you're like, oh, I didn't like that you know or i say something that really highly offends you and it's a punch to your face you can literally say like a safe word ooh that was a pinch you know and kind of bring it back to oh okay why cuz i i meant it in a completely different way how did you take it you know and kind of be able to have that like non awkward safe word between you two but i feel like that's something that has to be established early on in relationships, because like, I don't know, like I, I see my, you know, my old boss, Brian Schmidt, like if I came in three years into our relationship, it was like, let's do this thing. You know, I don't know. I just feel awkward and weird. It's like, if I, if I put it down there and set the boundary from the initial conversation and it's just like, listen, we have a safe word. And if I say something you really hate, just say pinch, you know? So I, I thought that was just a really cool kind of tool to use. Another thing I would say is, uh, personally, I would like to have more just chats with, uh, you know, my my managers or anything before I start a job. You know, like, let's not make, like, let's take all the formalities out of this. Like, let me just, like, figure out who you are as a person. You know, so I know because I feel like once I know somebody, I know better how to work with them and like what will piss them off. And, you know, so I I think that's really, really important is to just establish that kind of friendship before you start to develop that working relationship so you can read each other a little bit better.
1: Right. It's it's like I like to say, um, you know, mentorship is like dating, like you have to find a lot of, you know, meet a lot of mentors to find the right one. And I think it's it's a similar thing. It's like you have to find, you know, a lot of job opportunities or a lot of potential bosses or have a lot of chats to really discover if you like someone and if you want to like learn under them. I mean, that's a big that's a big deal. It's a big commitment. It's like your coworkers are the people you spend a lot of time with. So, you know, you you better be chatting, chatting each other up. <laughs>
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think that's, that's the biggest thing. It's like, let's just talk. Yeah.
1: I I think sort of like in the same lane of like building trust, what are some ways that you have felt supported in the past? And, and where do you think tech as an industry could maybe support women more?
0: Um, I think the first thing that comes to my mind when it comes to women, and I think a lot of tech companies are really waking up to this, but it's just the, you know, the maternity leave and just the record, the, I don't know, and making it the approval of like knowing that you're working three jobs, technically, if you have children or you're a caretaker for a parent, or, you know, you have a sick relative, like. I, I don't even think that's just for women. I think that's just like in general for humans, you know, it's just a more awareness and, you know recognition that this isn't my life. This is part of my life. you know, and and I think I think that's i i I do. I think tech is is getting there. I think it's um there I think we're the pioneers of that, honestly you know, I, I, I haven't seen a lot of tech places that don't give like more than 12 weeks for maternity leave now or paternity leave, you know, many people, many tech companies are giving paternity leave now, which is huge, or just like family leave, you know, and being so inclusive about that, that necessity and everything. And I think that's, that's a beautiful thing, the being so inclusive and just like, yeah i think i think that's that's paramount um for women in tech but i i mean i've been lucky enough to not um experience any hardships as a woman in tech i feel it, it, in general i've really been recognized on the same tier as a man um and that that's just my own personal experience you know i know that there's probably thousands of stories that are very, very different. And, you know, I wish there weren't.
1: Yeah. I also think like, probably, it's probably different in, you know, different situations. So like, if you're raising money as a woman, it's less likely you're going to get that money. Right. And so I think it just kind of depends what the situation is, or like what you're really there to do. Yeah, I think I think the I have never
0: personally experienced this, so I I can't speak from from that. But um, yeah, just just feeling like feeling like I have the same shot as everybody as ever as a man would in a certain situation or being taken seriously in business. Like I'm starting an LLC, you know, I I'm starting my own company, and am I going to go into these situations where you know I. I'm not going to be, I'll be overlooked because I'm a younger woman in business for herself. You know, like I've never experienced that before, but I'm sure it's out there. (laughs) I'm sure, you know, there's going to be one point where I'm going to have an unfortunate situation like that, because, you know, you do hear, it's just so, it is so frequent, you know, that we're just not valued as, as much. And it's just, Why? (laughs) Why like what what have we done that that could not be valued? If anything, we're like I said, we're working most of us are working three jobs. You know, if you have a sick relative at home, most of the time it's the woman taking care of, you know, that those those traditional roles still still are out there and like stereotypes and things. And it's it's hard to live through that stereotype.
1: And actually, funny enough, I over the weekend I watched a documentary, like a short documentary-style series about uh, about women and pleasure, and um, one of the episodes talks about when birth control was created and how suddenly women were going to get degrees and women didn't have to stay home and raise kids because they had birth control. And they weren't trapped in an, you know, an an unhappy marriage, because this guy knocked her up, right? And I think that when that happened, men, you know, it was very sudden, I guess. And like a lot of men were like, "Wait, so now we're seeing them, you know, we're competing with them to get into colleges, and we're competing with them for jobs, and oh, now we, for the first time in history, have competition." And I still think that we're dealing with the ripple effects of that because corporate culture was founded for men, right? It wasn't it wasn't uh, the, the the zone for for women. So I think we're still working within a system that was designed for the for the white male. And I think just learning about, you know, sort of just like that one scene where they talk about birth control made me realize, oh wow, That specific aspect or that thing that we've been feeling as women is like it has real roots and it's like it's rooted in the culture and history. So, in order to sort of wrap this up, I love doing a nice little speed round moment. So, if you would humor me, (laughs) let's do it. Okay. What is your favorite low effort meal to prepare? Mac and cheese. (laughs) that's the first
0: thing that came to my head Yeah. yeah it's comfort and you could do craft or baked or whatever yeah
1: yes exactly i think on a prior show i might have said like some sort of pasta dish that i make with like bison meat and like pesto really good but i might change my answer to chicken stir fry Because that is like really like super low effort, just throw everything in there. And I it never fails to disappoint.
0: My first one was going to be lasagna, but that is like full of effort. But God, it's like my favorite thing ever.
1: Yeah, pasta. It's funny. I didn't grow up eating pasta. I feel like I was very deprived of pasta as a kid. So what is one thing that surprises you about each of your kids?
0: Oh, love that. Uh, So my youngest, Luke, is the most like me. He's very outgoing. Uh, But he has this thing where he has to know your name and use it. And so, like, everybody in his class, all their parents, like, he knows everybody's first name. And he's always calling them by it. And they call him the mayor at school. And I know he gets that from me, but not the the name thing. The name thing is crazy. And then for Ben, it's definitely his his empathic abilities. He's just like, he knows what everybody's feeling at every moment and can like warp himself for that situation. (laughs) And it's very, he's seven. um, And I'm like, this is going to be like a superhuman ability when you're older. Yeah. He just like, he can tell a situation by like, like, read a room. That's what he can do. He can read a room. Sounds like a therapist.
1: (laughs) Yeah, or they're very, else. very
0: different. There, yeah. 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 I think, yeah, I think he's gonna be a lawyer, obviously. He can argue like crazy.
1: <laughs> I love that. So. Um, and and last question for you. How do you feel about the future? I'm hopeful. Hopeful
0: and positive always. I um I think it's so important to keep a positive outlook, and sometimes I'm sure it can be annoying to, <laughs> to people. Um but I just, I feel like everything that's meant to happen will happen, you know, and it, you really can't do anything. like, you can make things happen, sure, but there is always going to be a little bit of destiny wrapped in there, you know, I, I'm a full believer in, like, that. you know, everything happens for a reason. Um, so, like, wherever I end up, you know, just happy to be going for the ride you know, and hopefully some of the things that I do in the meantime will influence where those things go. But, um,
1: ultimately I just, I I can't wait to see what happens. I love that. And actually I worked with a career coach slash mindset coach for a while last year, and she taught me, um, everything happens for the best reason. And the reason why she says best is because then it doesn't leave your subconscious thinking about what that potential reason could be, but it leaves you at rest of like, oh, it was the best reason. Wow. I love that. Yeah. That's really great. I'm going to I remember that. <laughs> yeah. I'm. I'm sure you will. It's for the best. Do you have any final thoughts sort of coming through your head that you want to impart to this? women in tech community. Yeah. I, I think it's because I'm dealing
0: with it right now. Myself is just like, if you're scared of something that, but you really want to do it, take the dive because fear is just telling you, telling you that it's probably the best decision you could make. And it's going to be a scary jump, but if there's something gnawing at you, and you're just like no, no. I have to do this thing. I have to do it. Do it. It's going to be okay. Whatever, whatever it is, it's going to be okay.
1: How should people get in touch with you?
0: I uh, so right now I am building my website, which uh, I'm hoping to come out with a blog and launch my blog in April, um, and it's called Gather with LL. And so. Uh, hopefully that will start very, very soon, but at the, in the meantime, you can get in touch with me at gatherwithll at gmail.com and, um, anything you want to talk about. I just love making connections. So if you just want to reach out and because you liked the podcast and want to talk like that's great. Let's talk.
1: Thank you so much for hanging out with the women in tech podcast to connect with more incredible women, just like Liz in tech all around the world, head to women in tech, VIP.com. That's women in tech, Say hello on social at women in tech show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. And if you want to get in touch with Liz or want to know more about her work, she's on LinkedIn, Liz Leary, or you can look forward to her new website, which is launching very soon. Gather You will probably see a coming soon page unless it's live, but you can look forward to a weekly blog with tips, tricks, and all things employee experience and event design, and make sure to come back and see you in the next episode. Bye.